Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Jesse Moore, and welcome to Icon Leadership Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Icon Leadership Podcast. Today on our show, we have a man who has done everything and is involved in everything. Uh, He's involved with the uh, humanitarian aid leadership, humanitarian medical supply chain logistics, health care leadership, medical missions, even spiritual care, vocational well-being, and nonprofit leadership. And he also is a TED, was a TEDx uh, speaker. Uh, he just, if that's not enough, he just wrote a book called A Pandemic Theology, Listen, Lament, and Labor. In his book, his book is ranked number one in new releases in three categories in Amazon. Number one in religious ethics, number one in history of religion, number one in general history of religion, and number four in science and religion. Please welcome Dr. Matthew Hoffman. Hey, Matthew, how are you doing? I am doing well, my friend. It is so good to be with you, and uh, wow, what, what, what a uh, great introduction. Thank you so very much. It's great to be with you. Oh, man, man, it's, it's, I'm great to have you, man. So uh, you're one busy guy. Yes. Yeah, very much so. I, I, I tend to kind of live my life that way, which I need to keep that in check every once in a while. Um, but uh, yeah, and in, in, like you said, involved in humanitarian aid and, and working in that sector for about the last 10 years and um, had, the, had the privilege of uh, completing my doctorate here recently. So yeah, it has been. Great, great. It's such an honor to have you on our podcast. Tell me about uh, so you're you're uh, involved in uh, helping Ukraine. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. So you know we need ship medical supplies and equipment uh, to medical humanitarian aid all over the world, and um, uh, we've been working with a couple of hospitals actually in uh, in Ukraine for the last seven, eight years, and uh, when we heard rumor, um, actually our friends in Ukraine, when they heard rumor of a, a potential invasion, uh, they contacted us and said, would you please uh, send us uh, more medical supplies and equipment? And so uh, we most certainly did. And so, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a real honor just to come alongside uh, the work. Um, 
but so many are doing right. uh, in in a pretty difficult uh, situation, and so. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Man, that's great. That's great. So tell me, where do you guys get the, you know, the supplies from? Yeah, so uh, we get supplies uh, from within the healthcare system and outside healthcare um, systems. You know, there's, there's a lot of um, waste that can happen um, within healthcare, and it's not because someone's being wasteful necessarily. It's right. You know, healthcare systems have to have more supplies and goods on hand uh, in order to be ready to respond to things that may happen in a community. Or, you know, we're per, um, pers- always pursuing the latest technology. So you might have a particular piece of equipment that works perfectly fine, but then the new generation of a particular piece of equipment comes along. And so in the whole industry of medical, what's called medical surplus recovery, um, we try to gather those things and instead of them ending up in a local landfill, right. uh, trying to find uh, a good, we, we say we put good products in the hands of good people doing good work right here at home and around the world. Right, right, right. So uh, some of those supplies, you know, you know, what type of supplies, you know, do you give them? Oh, it would be anything from basic wood care supplies that you could pick up at Walgreens, really, you know, bandaging and gauze and those kinds of things, all the way up to um, uh, really, um, uh, it could be very complicated pieces of equipment sure. um, to do, you know, something all the way up to an, uh, open heart surgeries and sure. those sorts of things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people are under the impression that some of those uh, supplies that we send out are expired supplies. Is that correct? No, no, no not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, we do not. Um, uh, no, uh, we do not ship any expired goods, actually, um, okay. uh, because um, one, I mean, if it's not good for us, you know, sure. it's, right. you know, it's one of those things that um, we want to uphold. Um, uh, you know, good standards sure. that way. Sure, yeah. sure, absolutely. Yeah. Because you know, reason being is uh, because you know we have uh, lots of supplies that, uh, heck, they are they are good. They're still good, but they just have a uh, expiration you know date on them, such as you know yeah. needles and stuff like that. Yeah, and a lot of times those things are those items are really good for medical education purposes. Sure, uh, for training kind of the next generation of healthcare. Uh, providers and so that way they can kind of learn how to use it or you know if it's not too far expired sometimes uh, veterinarian and animal care yeah um, because they don't have some of the same restrictions um, you know those are helpful for them as well so it's uh, yeah there's 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 always ways that you try to kind of redeem as much as you can you know right right so uh Back to you, uh, the Ukraine part. So, uh, what can other people do to help? You know, Ukraine here in uh, in the states. Yeah, you know, there are some wonderful organizations that we've been able to partner with, um, um, and uh, that are doing that are just have been involved from the very beginning. And um, you know, it's something that you know, when anything like this happens, our, our hearts break. Right. You know. Um, and so uh, there's there's wonderful organizations that people can connect with that are here in the states. Um, 
Absolutely. So tell me, are we doing anything with uh, what's going on with, uh, you know, Israel and uh, Gaza right now? We, you know, uh, are we sending in supplies? Oh, they're getting uh, yeah, from yeah, we are. We are definitely. We're sending supplies to the Middle East um, uh, and because that is such a tragic situation all the way around. Sure. And, um, you know, wherever there's humanitarian concern that way, we really want to do whatever we can to care for those that are, uh, you know, affected by this. So, right. yeah, we've, we've already begun to do so. And, and as medical teams go over, there's many times they'll contact us and, you know, there'll be a doctor that says, Hey, I, I want to fill up my suitcase with sutures or what have you. And, right. and, um, you know, they may be connected with a particular humanitarian organization. Right. So you're involved with the, uh, faith in action, uh, initiative. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, so it's a it's a, it's a wonderful uh, program, um, and uh, we we get to kind of do some really uh, encouraging work uh, in in care for people both right here at home and, and like like we've mentioned around the world. So it's uh, that's that's been very um, you know being able to whether it's you know supply homeless shelters sure. Uh, with blankets and hygiene supplies or um, local charitable clinics, um, you know, where there's maybe, um, you know, pockets of need within a community where we can come alongside a nonprofit organization and care for them that way. Right. So uh, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Explain yeah. that, explain that to my audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think really when we talk about leadership, uh, the heart of every leader needs to really not be focused on a position and having a position of leadership. Right. Um, when I hear people talk about leadership without people in view, <laughs> yeah. but really kind of talking about it about having arrived or having gotten to a particular place, but they're not thinking about, you know, how do we serve people? How do we care for people? Right. Um, you know, that's, the, that's something that's scary when I, when I, if I see someone who, who wants to go for a place of leadership, but is it really willing to serve and right. to really step into that place of going, you know, where leadership is really about coming alongside around being able to open doors and open opportunities for others. Right. Um, you know, if we're leading, that means people are following, right? right? That means that we're doing something that is worthy of being followed. Right. And, um, and, but a lot of times there can be ambition towards leadership um, based upon whether it be financial gain or an internal hope for a particular position or those kinds of things. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of the heart of that particular statement of, uh, 
have uh, it's it's really the the heart of leadership. It really needs to be that sense of service and um, right, right, uh, yeah, uh, servant leadership. Servant leadership. What yeah. is that? What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, it, it looks like if um, if I'm able to benefit someone else in a, in a positive way, right. um, I'm going to take what I have, whether time, resources, coaching, attention, and I'm going to come alongside them, and I'm going to see how can I serve them? How can I blow wind in their sails? Right. Um, how can, because boy, life is hard. Um, life is very difficult. And, you know, even when I think about whether it's, you know, humanitarian aid or, you know, spiritual care, pastoral care, um, life is hard. And, um, to come alongside someone to say, you know, let me, let me serve you in this way. And it's not that sense of, um, uh, that sense of doing something for someone, but it's that sense of coming alongside to really kind of help them see that sense of power, that sense of ability that they may have within them to really kind of help unlock that. And, uh, when, when those things happen, I mean, that's just beautiful (laughs) uh, to see those things. Yeah. So, uh, so would you being involved with all these, you know, different organizations with these humanitarian aid, you know, it has to take teamwork, teamwork. Most certainly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For everything to, to work together. So, oh, it, it has to. It has to, yeah. Right. I mean, you can have real desire to do something on your own, but uh, it, it doesn't go real far. Yeah. Right, absolutely. You have to have somebody to help you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So tell me about this TED Talk, man. So how did you get to oh. speak at a TED Talk? Yeah, um, I don't I really Let's see. How did that happen? Um, and, you know, I there was um, a couple of leaders. I didn't know that it was happening. Uh-huh. Um, and it was on, you know, TEDx, you know, TED Talks do TEDx Talks, which are local, uh-huh. and um, those are all over, I think they're all over the world, actually, at different different times of the year, and, and there was one that was coming up, and um, there was a colleague who, I, I don't know if they reached out to them. Or, or linked me somehow with them and said, hey, you know, I think Matthew should <laughs> should do this TED Talk. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience um, uh, with some great group of folks. Uh, da- down in the, this particular TEDx talk was in Deep Ellum, okay. so downtown Dallas. And, um, uh, yeah, and so it, it was a wonderful experience um, to be able to, um, learn from the folks with sure. uh, with within uh, TEDx and right. TED Talk and okay and uh, yeah it was a great experience. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't something that I was like oh you know what I mean. <laughs> I was like oh okay, sure let's let's just step forward and see what happens here. <laughs> right, right. Okay, I got it. Uh, so yeah. so you wrote a book. 
called yeah. uh, Pandemic Theology, Listen, Lament, and Labor. Where'd yeah. you come up with that? How'd you come up with that name? Yeah, well, you know, I, um, this particular book really came out of my doctoral studies. Uh-huh. And um, my whole doctoral journey was really kind of geared around um, the aspect of, of, of people to see their work in a spiritually enriching way. And so kind of the sense of the spirituality of work. You know, we spend the vast majority of our times at this thing called work. Boy, it, it, it shouldn't be meaningless, you know? Right. And so, you know, it's been a lot of time just studying around aspects of meaningful work, what makes work enriching. And, and so as I was doing that, right as I entered into kind of the final phase of my doctoral study to actually do my dissertation, COVID happened. And when COVID happened, my, my professor said, wow, Matthew, this hits at the heart of even what you're talking about. When we look at healthcare professionals who are working during this time and and so as I began to look at that, and, and even just in my background as a chaplain um, in care for others, as a healthcare chaplain, I wanted to really look at what would be the, what would be the theological or spiritual um, belief systems or what have you that emerged from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's kind of where that whole thing came from, is pandemic theology. And I just wanted just to kind of find out, okay, what's emerging here? What's, what's unique here? And, and basically, the, the heart of the study is I took, I did interviews with healthcare professionals all over the United States. And because it was, one, geographically all over the United States, but because of the fact that it was right in the midst of the pandemic, I, um, everything was through Zoom, um, uh, through video conferencing, and uh, did these interviews. And after doing those interviews, really kind of compiled what were some of these main things that came out of that. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was fascinating um, um, to hear, you know, really kind of their sense of ache. Oh. And lament um, in, in the midst of uh, of the pandemic, but then also things that they really brought forward to for us to really contemplate and to really think deeply about. Right. And that's really through that. And then one of the things within the book, um, there's an entire chapter that's devoted to um, what asking the question. How did religious voices in past pandemics and epidemics and plagues throughout church history, how did they respond? What were those religious voices saying during the the time of Cyprian's plague in early church history? And then, so I started from early church history, moved into medieval times, the Reformation times, modern, and then postmodern times with um, the AIDS epidemic. And it was just a fascinating study to look at real common themes throughout, um, throughout different pandemics. I mean, there was, 
different things that stuck out at different times. And then really trying to kind of look at that and compare that to some of the things that we saw during the coronavirus pandemic. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a big picture anyway. <laughs> okay. So how long did it take you to, you know, to write the book? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was a little over a two year process of, doing interviews and then I think if you tack another year on there probably it was probably about I want to say well I don't know maybe two and a half maybe three years right up to right up to three years right okay um, of uh yeah because I mean every all that began at in 2020 and this is 2023 so yeah yeah so it was about a three-year process right um, right and uh yeah yeah and, I, and I'll say I I just, um, you know, one of the things that that really kind of brought forward the um, uh, really brought forward the, you know, as you asked about the title about listen, lament, and labor, mm-hmm. um, you know, that really kind of came forward from what uh, a lot of these healthcare professionals, uh, in the midst of their own lament as they're struggling with what's happening as to what they hoped and what and what they hoped people would do and what they how how they hoped to uh, experience others and then what they felt like their response should be um just um everybody they interviewed uh was some form of the christian faith um and um, and those were kind of like the three res- three Christian responses, I guess, from um, you know of, of really how to respond during a time like this and how to care for right. the sick. Right. That wow. sense of really kind of listening and um, uh, uh, lamenting, meaning that sure. sense of kind of being with and kind sure. of weeping with those that weep, and and then laboring to see, you know, it's like, hey, how can we how can we help, you know, put our work into labor to help fight this pandemic and, and to bring care to people in need? Right, so right. it was, yeah, it was very um, moving to uh, connect with um, so many different folks that way. Right. So, I, I, man, I'm sure there was a lot of tears flying all over the place because that was a rough time. Huh. You know, just I'm just yeah. taking it back. Thinking back yeah. on, you know, just walking through, you know, the hospital in the emergency room and I've never seen that much death around me, you know, yeah. That's yeah. A, that was a hard time for all of us. Yeah. Most certainly. Yeah. Most certainly. So tell me, uh, during these, during this time, so did you ever experience a writer's block? Anything like that? Oh, uh, actually, no. Oh, really? <laughs> there was so much to write about, honestly. There, there was a whole lot that I just had to cut out and um, and to focus in on. But not writer's block. Um, it was more of really, my heart was really to kind of try to capture the voices that I was hearing. Wow. And there were people's perspectives that were from different perspectives, uh, sometimes opposing perspectives on particular issues. And I really wanted to really present those voices in an honest way. And, you know, in the book, there's times where, 
Um, you know, I didn't do this in the interviews, but in my reflection on those interviews, I do give commentary where I kind of give my own opinion, you know, right. and my perspective. Um, but no, there was always something to write about. <laughs> oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so, so, tell me about your experience, you know, with publishing the book. So, so. So you wrote it. And so now, you know, you need to publish it. Tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, honestly, you know, going down the route of traditional publishing um, is, is pretty difficult unless you're, um, you know, unless you're like you, you know, who has all these followers, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, I can only wish. Uh, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, public, traditional publishing companies, you know, they're looking for the folks that are the mega people, you know, the, the folks that have got tens of thousands of followers and that kind of a thing. And Or you wind up having to go down the route of trying to find a literary agent and hire them, of, of which, I, you know, I just didn't have the finances for, nor did I want to go down that road. So, I mean, actually, this book is self-published. And so... Um, I went down the route of, of publishing this myself, and uh, if anything, it was just kind of to be able to have it and to get the get the message of the book out, right? Um, and to share that um, as much as I could. And you know, I was just really, you know, I, was, I mean, just just really grateful, you know, surprised. Um, you know, like as you read at the beginning, you know, just kind of some of the rankings that it that it had. Um, I don't know if that just means my mom was buying a bunch of the books. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's probably the one doing it. Right. Uh, but, but uh, no, it was a great, uh, great process. And, um, you know, we're continuing to get the book out, uh, you know, even just to, you know, theology, the, theological seminaries and other places. Uh, just to see if, you know, if it would be a point of interest, um, uh, you know, for professors in the way of as, as, as we start looking at this pandemic, because, you know, my heart with this is really to provide a tool for people to reflect on what they went through. Right. You know, throughout the pandemic, it was the constant mantra of, when is this going to be over? When can we go back to normal? And then, you know, as the numbers gone went down, it's, it's like, okay, that's behind us. And it's like, well, let's reflect on this. Right. Let's reflect on this. Like, did we respond the way that we wanted to? You know, how did past generations respond during times like this? You right. know, um, you know, during the Spanish flu, there was a really common response among churches to start hospitals hmm. and to start hospice organizations and the hospice work and, and hospitals. And there's many hospitals that we have in the United States that came out of that particular era. Because that was the religious response during that time. Right. Um, you know, we didn't have that during this time. Um, there was a lot of divide. There was a lot of... Um, polarization and um, so I think that there's a lot for us to reflect on and um, to say okay can I 
not respond in accordance with my better self, <laughs> right? Uh, with with my stated, you know, faith or religious values or those kinds of things, or or with the, you know, and I think all of us. I mean, you, you put anybody in a pressure cooker situation like that on a global scale, um, you know, one there's a there was a lot of beautiful work that happened and. Those in healthcare saw it every day of people showing, suiting up and showing up and caring for others. Right. But then there may have been those other responses where we thought, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> Where'd that come from? You know, oh, ouch. You know, I, maybe I shouldn't have responded that way. And I found that even for myself, um, as I was going through uh, interviewing others, I just thought, wow, Matthew, okay, you need to slow down. Um, um, you know, because. If, if you think, if you're just going to take someone who has a particular belief about something in this and, right. and just put them over in a corner as though, you know, you, you've got them figured out, it's like, wow, wait a second, I'm not listening to them, you know? And even if what they have to say to me is painful to hear, right. um, it's important for that at least to be heard. Right. And and to for there to be dialogue and discussion rather than the polarizing, you know, shouting or, you know, blocking people off. And, and you know, that aspect, that was a huge part in my interviews. People on both sides of this, uh, both sides of the uh, of any particular issue were saying, wow, people just aren't listening to one another. Right. And um just really seeing that value and um, even kind of seeing the theology of listening. What does that mean to listen to somebody? Right. And how does even listening to others, connecting with my faith and that, even if I disagree with them, right, right. you know, in terms of how I show up in the world and show up in front of this person in front of me. So Right, right. So what was um, the most challenging time, you know, writing this book? Yeah, um... You know, I'll say, you know, one of the things that was probably the most challenging had to do with one of the things that really defined this particular pandemic from a religious perspective concerning the religious voices that were speaking during this pandemic was the um, um, one of the things that was unique with this uh, with this pandemic that was different than others was the call for um, uh, religious freedom. Hmm. That phrase, religious freedom, was was used quite a bit. And, and it wasn't frustrating that people were using it, um, you know, because that's, that's what they were believing. But one of the things I think that was a little frustrating in my research is at times, even just in interviewing individuals, um, where... Um, you know, you, you might have some that were, would would say, well, I'm not going to take the vaccine or I'm not going to do these other things um, like wear a mask or what have you right. out of religious conviction. Right. And so in that, it's like, okay, explain that to me. And that was the frustrating part because it was, and I could tell it was frustrating for them too. Right. Of, of trying to articulate um, the religious reason 
for not receiving a vaccine or not wearing a mask or not social distancing um, and feeling very passionate about not doing those things. Right. And it, and I'm not, I'm not trying to judge them in the sense of, in the sense of that. It was just, for me, I was like, explain this, you right. know, show me in scripture where you find this conviction. Um, um, and, and oftentimes, one of the things that would wind up happening is individuals, rather than quoting the Bible, sometimes would wind up quoting um, the U.S. Constitution. Oh, right. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, do you see the U.S. Constitution as a religious document? As that's a part of your faith or not? And more often than not, it would be like, well, no, but... You know, and, and so there was kind of this sense of that that need to work out their own theology, their own belief system sure. in light of what was going on. Right. You know, because you had this this real pushback against public health um, encouragements, mandates, you know, saying, hey, this is what needs to be done. And you have this pushback you know, from some religious voices. Um, but, and it was like, okay, articulate that for me. I want to know how you're thinking. Right. Uh, I want to understand this. And I think for me, that was probably the most frustrating, but at the same time, I think that was also one of the reasons that propelled me forward to write the book even more to say, Hey, even though the numbers have gone down, and we're not in that state that we were back in 2020 and 2021. Um, let's really reflect on this theologically. Right. Let's really think through this clearly to say, do I really believe that right. or not? You know, so yeah, there, there you go. I went on a rabbit trail with you. But... No, no, that's great, man. This is great. This is great, man. This is great. So tell me, uh, so while you're writing this book, Okay, so you have a family. And so, man, how did they, how would, man, because that's a lot of, that's a lot of work. So, so how did you, uh, you know, mix family and and writing this book together, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, on one hand, my, my wife and I are empty nesters. Okay. And so we don't have little kids at home, so you know, I can't imagine going through my doctorate and writing this book and all of those things with little kids running around. I don't know. Maybe we would have made some interesting chapters. I don't know. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, a, a lot of the writing, um, I, you know, I do early in the morning as I wake up sure. or, or late at night or, you know, I'd say to my wife, hey, I need to go and block out, you know, these three hours on this Sunday afternoon. And, right. And then, you know, she may go visit the grandkids, you know, or, or okay. do something that she wants to do to care for herself. So, yeah, it's it was definitely it's not something that it's not a rhythm that I want to <laughs> keep up <laughs> right, right. as a pattern for life. Uh, but uh, it was. Uh, but but I tell you, I just felt so much support though, right? Um, from my wife, from right. my adult kids, sure. Right. Um, you know, and finishing my doctorate, and then absolutely, you know, man. Getting this 
published. So that was that was that was beautiful that way. But now I wouldn't want to do it every day. <laughs> right, right. I get it. I get it. So there's no more books in the making. Well, you know, I've got some ideas. But I might just start writing some of those things on my devotional time. Okay. And gotcha. maybe, it'll take, maybe it'll take me another three years and I won't be in class at the same time doing it. So. <laughs> right. I get it. I get it. I get it. So tell me, man, what, what, what makes you get out of bed in the morning? Um, well, I think there's several things. Um, yeah, I, I think my belief in Christ. Um, that one of the names in Scripture of, of, of Christ is that uh, God with us. That, that belief that God's with me, and and so the fact that God's with me really propels me to get up and also to go with people, right? And to go be with them, so that they they don't feel alone. And they feel cared for. And, you know, in the particular work that I just really have the honor of doing, and it's, it's, you know, I just, there's a real desire to help make a change, help make a difference in people's lives. Um, you know, I said it earlier, I mean, life is really hard. Um, it's really, it can be really difficult. Right. And, it can feel very isolating and very alone. I think we all feel that way. And, you know, I know that when I have felt the nearness of, you know, like my wife, who's an incredible human being, um, or a dear friend, um, like, you know, I, I want, I want others to experience that. Um, so that sense of presence, um, that, even though we might think differently, might believe differently, maybe from different faiths or, or, you know, walks of life, just for someone to experience like, hey, you know, if you're out there doing good stuff, I'm, I'm for you. Right, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I want to I wanna encourage you and blow wind in your sails and we'll leave all those other things up to, uh, to God. Right. <laughs> and so... Um, but yeah, yeah, that's probably a really long answer, but But that's okay. That's probably where I'm, that's where I'm landing today. That's great, man. That's great. (laughs) Matthew, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate, you know, knowing you, man, been knowing you for Uh, quite some time. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Jesse. Thanks so much for just inviting me. And, uh, yeah, hopefully there's something that, somebody can benefit by. Absolutely. So thank you so much. I Con- appreciate it. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> no problem. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Icon Leadership Podcast. You can find the show anywhere you get your podcast. You can find us at roguemedianetwork.com or you can email us at iconleadership at gmail.com or our website, which is iconleadership.org. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.